This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Twitter is now supposed to be called X. But here's a question for Elon. Why didn't he just come clean and suggest that everyone call it Q? I'm Matt Robeson. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable. We are part of the Beyond Politics podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, and of course, on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. Joined, as always, by our conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant, Alicia Preston, and former two-term Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes. Paul, Alicia and I are very happy to see you here and looking well. You had a little mishap on Sunday morning, like Willis Reed you are managing to limp your way onto the show because the show must go on, but it's possible you may have suffered a concussion. We're obviously, we're making a little bit of light of this, but we are deadly serious about the fact that we're glad that you're up and well. And if you don't sound particularly coherent, hopefully we'll notice. I'm sure the audience will notice because you're usually so on point. What? What are you talking about? Where am I? Fantastic. Who are you? What am I doing here? I'm just hoping this improves the impersonations. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, beyond well, all hope there. So <laughs> I threw myself down a flight of stairs Sunday morning. And the good news is nothing is Is broken. it because Ron DeSantis's campaign is flailing? No, You're it's sad. I anticipated Kelly Ayotte announcing for governor. And I threw myself down a flight of stairs in despair, landing in a heap at the bottom. I don't recommend that method of protest to anybody. Nothing is broken, but I clearly have a concussion. So if I nod off in the middle of a, no, no. If I fall asleep during the show, don't hold it against me. It's my uh, fault, probably, not yours. I'm just a little dizzier than usual, but I'm on the mend. And I, I must, I don't know. As Pego said, good thing I'm well padded. My mother had good advice. Her advice was don't do that again. Stage so really, I don't plan on doing that again. And here I am. So what was it that Woody Allen show. said that tragedy is when I fall down a flight of stairs. Comedy is when you fall down a flight of stairs yeah. and die. Ah, or, here we well, are. Yeah, here we are. All right. Look, since you've survived. You're, um, very, you're both very nice to me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Alicia, Alicia treated me like it was a mass shooting. She's going to keep me in her prayers. That's really sweet. And Matt said, we're just going to make fun of you. So that's, that's, that's the idea. Both responses fit our personalities. Yes, yeah, they right. do. Yeah. I have to say, Paul Hodes has a very even keeled demeanor. When Paul and I were doing like this, I don't know, it, it was like this mad dash during the New Hampshire primary in 2008. We were driving all around the state. Paul was a national co-chair for Barack Obama. And here we are in his home state where he is a member of Congress. And the New Hampshire primary is a big deal. So we're like, we're doing a, a run all around the state. We're in the car. 
And if ever we were in a dicey driving situation, Paul would just very calmly say, hey, Matt, in case we live, you might want to take the next exit because that's our exit. So in case we live, we might as well finish the show here. All right, I wanna do a little exercise here in weaving together a few threads of what's happened in Republican politics in the last few days. First of all, Politico's big lead yesterday was basically why are the knives out for Tim Scott right now? Tim Scott, the Republican Senator has risen to third place in several polls, including in Iowa. And lo and behold, there is what political operatives call an oppo dump happening from opposing campaigns. Alicia, communications consultant, could you just explain to our listeners, what's an oppo dump? An oppo dump is opposition research that is released from an opposing campaign. Sometimes you know who it is, sometimes you don't, in order to discredit an opponent that apparently is starting to threaten you. Right. And so what is happening here is that the other candidates are calling up reporters and they're saying, hey, on background, could I interest you in the following story? And they're pitching things like 30 years ago, apparently Tim Scott, once upon a time, I don't remember where I was 30 years ago. I was in like freaking college, but like I, I was too. You were 30 grade, years ago, which is why we were, don't remember where we were. 30 you guys were in grade school. <laughs> I had just thrown myself down a flight of stairs. I don't remember where I was. You were in grade school. Come on. <laughs> I wish. I wish. So anyway, apparently 30 years ago, Tim Scott said that the Republican Party was racist. And he was like, no, I didn't prove it. Anyway, like it's all I know is I'm glad that there was no social media 30 years ago. Oh my gosh. Can the, you imagine guys if we were all we said the things we said the things we did. I, I grew up in the 80s. Can you imagine what we were like in the 80s, which was awesome, by the way, the 80s should come back. And it is in part the stuff we said and did and no one got offended because everyone was having a good time because we weren't so damn sensitive and seeking offense. None of us could even be on a podcast. Well, all joking aside, a good friend of ours, Leah Plunkett, who's a Harvard professor, wrote a terrific book about four years ago called Sharonhood, Why We Shouldn't Be Sharing Anything About Our Kids on Social Media. And I found it very influential. And part of her basic argument is, could you imagine if the things we did when we were kids were all shared on part of our permanent social media record for all time, we should get the, that decision for ourselves. Our parents shouldn't make it for us. I, she's got a really good point. But anyway, here, so thread number one is that the knives are out for Tim Scott. Thread number two is that Ron DeSantis had a donor say, oh, maybe if Donald Trump is indicted for his role in the January 6th insurrection, he might consider dropping out. And that allowed Donald Trump's campaign to unload on Ron DeSantis, which is basically his MO for the last nine years is anytime someone looks a little bit threatening, just as happening to Tim Scott, Donald Trump gets to isolate them, pick them off, aim all his firepower at them and smack them down. And then Thread number three is Mitt Romney, senator from Utah, former presidential ca candidate, wrote an op-ed saying, hey, Republican donor, don't let Trump win with a plurality. If any of the candidates currently in the Republican field don't look viable by February of next year, you got to push him out of the race because we can't let him win with frickin' 40%. So that sums up to me into Republicans collective action problem. This is why they couldn't stop Trump in 2016. That's why I think they probably can't stop Trump now. Alicia, you made an impassioned plea last week on this show about the fact that 
The majority of the Republican Party doesn't want Trump, but it's these kinds of things that keep happening that I think are teeing up to let Trump sail through with a plurality, just like Mitt Romney is afraid of yet again. Alicia, your thoughts. I might be blinded by my own optimism and bias, but I'm starting to see a path for other candidates if, to Mitt Romney's point, others drop out. Like Asa Hutchinson, it ain't going to happen, my friend. I like you, bro. You've done good for this country. Did you know I got bumped from Piers Morgan last week for Asa Hutchinson? That's a fair decision. You were invited on Piers Morgan? I was invited on Piers Morgan. And the producer called me back 90 minutes later to say, hey, sorry, we got Asa Hutchinson instead. And I'm like... I can't argue with that. That's cool. You know what? I'm impressed that you were invited in part because Piers and I share a disdain for Meghan Markle. And therefore, <laughs> nice. I hold him in high regard. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, you were being Pollyanna-ish. Go on. Yeah, I, I am. I'm rose-colored glasses thinking that there is a path to victory for someone other than Donald Trump. Look, he does not have the majority. He has a plurality. There are way too many people in this race for Donald Trump to lose. But I do think there is a path because, and I should make someone pay me for this advice, but everyone is forgetting that, first of all, national polls mean absolutely nothing. They're irrelevant. They mean nothing. You should take nothing from them, and you certainly shouldn't strategize based on them. But if you look at the early state polls, in many of the early states, independents get to vote. Independents are a huge chunk of voters these days. In New Hampshire, the first in the nation primary, it's over 40%. The largest political party in the state is not a political party. And if one of these candidates, I'm thinking of Doug Burgum, perhaps, targets independents, soft R's, then there is a chance that he could literally make a move if some of the other candidates for the sake of the country step aside, because that is what we're talking about here. I don't mean to sound so dramatic, but we are talking about the sake of the country. Donald Trump cannot be president again. It is that big of a deal. And normally I make fun of Paul for being overly dramatic on things, but I'm going to be the dramatic one here because I think it's legit. Donald Trump can never be president again. Our democracy and the nation as we know it is at stake. And some of the 2% Republicans need to realize it's that big of a deal and step out so someone else can step in. Paul, I'd like to go to you for a new segment we're calling The View from the Landing. What do you make of the Republicans' collective action problem? Just made me spit my tea out my nose. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad we do this on video on YouTube now because I literally got to listen to a spit take. All right, I'm, I'm coming back to the... I got a lot more where that came from. Oh, my God. It's actually a, a view from the land. Yeah, okay. So looking up from the landing, I see a steep flight of stairs. And I say to myself, holy shit, did I just throw myself down that flight of stairs? That's a pretty scary thing. If I'm a 2% Republican looking up from the bottom... What I'm thinking to myself is, okay, I agree with Alicia secretly that Donald Trump cannot be president again. I look in the mirror and I say to myself, what's the scenario for me to be president instead of Donald Trump? If maybe some of these other two percenters fall away, maybe I can, if I'm mano a mano with Trump, maybe I can pick him off finally at the end. So the people who are, you know, the Mitt Romneys of the world, the other two percenters, are looking at Tim Scott and saying, after Ron DeSanctimonious and, Ron, and Donald Trumpelthinsky, you've got a real person, a guy with principles and values, and he's actually coherent, and he's an African-American, and he's a Republican. Holy shit, there aren't too many of those. 
So maybe he could be a viable candidate. Maybe it's time to start picking at him. And uh, Tim Scott is like a scab on the Republican Party. They want to pick at it till it's gone. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? What's a 2% Republican and could I possibly get a skim instead? Hey, speaking of autocratic strongmen, can we just spend two minutes on Israel? Because democracy apparently dies in darkness and in the Middle East. All four major Israeli daily newspapers went to print with their front pages entirely black to signify the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu has pushed forward his quote-unquote judicial reform, which we could less euphemistically call carpet bombing democracy in Israel. We had Galad Shur, who is the leader of the pro-democracy protest movement in Israel on this show two weeks ago. And Paul, this is some shocking stuff. This is, I'm not sure that I have a lot to contribute beyond really feeling just awful about this and bewildered about what I as an American can do to possibly contribute to saving democracy in the Middle East and in our number one ally in the Middle East in Israel. Look, this happened while there were thousands and thousands of Israelis in the streets, mass protests while this despicable vote was being taken by the right-wing acolytes of Netanyahu, basically trying to set him up as a dictator. He wants to avoid corruption charges. He wants to be dictator for life. He is a Trump. He's kind of Trump in 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 a yarmulke. He's Trump with a yarmulke. It's really it's, Trump it's, it's a terrible picture. And Jared, it, what is this beanie doing on my head? Oh, I got Alicia again. No, yes. I didn't spit it on. I caught it <laughs> that time. Fantastic. Oh, God. Israel has been the stalwart democratic ally of the United States. What are we going to have? The stalwart dictatorship ally of the United States in the Middle East? It's a quandary for American Jews who, at least if they're out for a lot of American Jews, we love Israel. We don't love what the Israeli government is doing. And we could say that when the Israeli government pursues its overly hardline policies, but when now they're entrenched so that the the fabric of democracy in Israel is threatened. It is it is a gossamer thread at this point where the Supreme Court no longer has the power to restrict unreasonable government action. That is, when you take away the separation of powers, you take away dem- democracy. It is the rule of law that is the foundation of democracy. That's what's under attack in Israel. It's the same as that's what Trump wants to do in the United States. It's what the Republicans in Congress have wanted. It is, unfortunately, if you step back, you could look at this as part of a 
global trend of regression in the face of change. You could say that autocratic dictatorial strongmen in former democracies are threatening, are as much of a threat as to the global order as Vladimir Putin. It's a frightening reminder of the kind of regressive dictatorial impulse that this country has always exhibited in times of stress. It's a terrible situation. First of all, if you can say regressive dictatorial impulse and string those words together, that is literally how they test for concussion. Good news. I clear you hereby of all symptoms of your mishap. I'll just close out the topic on the note that you hit, which is this underscores once again the importance of the judicial branch, of judicial independence, and maintaining some kind of a referee. I was furious at the Bush v. Gore decision in 2000, and Al Gore, to his everlasting frickin' credit, decided that the stability and continuity and respect for the law under our American system that he showed was more important than his own private political interests, and even perhaps the temporary well-being of the country because he believed he would be a better president than George W. Bush, and he certainly would have in my view. And so I was furious about that, but I respected what he did. And that's why all of these Supreme Court scandals, the Harlan Crowe, Clarence Thomas, Chief Justice Roberts, and this weird situation with his wife making $10 million a year to expand her network of judicial influence, all of these things are so freaking fundamentally bad. And the overt moves from Donald Trump and his cronies to undermine the independence of the judiciary it's perhaps the biggest clear and present danger to the continued existence of American democracy that I can think of. And that's why we should all be worried about it. I want to quickly just touch on the very, very fast topic. We talked last week about the breaking news. Paul, you brought us the breaking news that Chris Sununu is not running for re-election as governor of New Hampshire. On the Republican side, the person who jumped into the race, causing you to throw yourself down a flight of stairs in protest, is Kelly Ayotte, your former opponent in the 2010 Senate race. Unfortunately, she wiped the floor with us in an epically, historically bad year for Democrats. I think that she fell upward into her position, and then she managed to not distinguish herself over much in the U.S. Senate, other than sucking up to Lindsey Graham and John McCain. And basically, I defy her to say any statement while she was in the Senate, while Lindsey Graham drank a glass of water. Her name is translated from the French, where it originally meant repeats talking points phonetically. And yet she thinks that this is a good platform on which to run for New Hampshire governor. I have taken my opportunity to dunk on her. I know Alicia wants to defend her girl. I'll let you do that. Paul, would you like to get in any additional digs? Yeah, the only thing I can say is I'm taking this opportunity, given my concussion, to announce that I'm going to run for New Hampshire governor. I think it's time for a rematch with the empty suit. I got to say, I have I cannot take issue with the fact that in the race that I ran against Kelly Ayotte in 2010, she did commercials jogging in a tracksuit while I had some awful commercials. And clearly that was the difference between us. Yeah. Look. Kelly is a nice person. She's got good credentials on the Republican side. She's a former attorney general. She's a former United States senator. She was a protege of many non-MAGA Republicans. She's going to try to hew a very careful line and not offend the Trumpistas. 
as she as she conducts her campaign. Good luck. Good luck to the Republicans. And I don't know. She may win. Alicia, would you like to defend your girl? I'm a huge fan of Kelly Ayotte, and we actually served in Governor Craig Benson's administration together. She was legal counsel. I was comms director. Know her well. Fun fact I'm going to remind her of is we were standing at a press conference once, and she whispered to me, congratulations. And I said, what for? And she said, your pregnancy. And I wasn't pregnant. I have no idea if I like had a big lunch that day or something. Yeah, <laughs> it happened. That's so awesome. That's also, <laughs> by the way, just so you know her biggest accomplishment ever. I love Kelly. I think she was a great senator. She was a great attorney general. She's compassionate. She's smart. She's savvy. I'm not sure it's a foregone conclusion she's going to get that nomination, although I'm a huge fan, but she would be a great governor just as she was a great senator. I've exchanged words with pleasantries with her. She actually, she does seem like a nice person. I I don't have anything. She probably is. I don't have anything personally against her. I just think it's interesting that if you go to her self-edited Wikipedia page and if you Google Kelly A. Legislative Accomplishments, literally the top hit on Google is an entry for the McCain Institute. And if you go to that page, it says page not found. 404 error. And what happens if you Google Paul Hode's legislative accomplishments? You oh, actually have. I've wait. never done it. I'm just curious. I'm going to do it when we get off the show. No, I'm not yeah. saying you didn't. I'm saying what happens if you do that? I've never. Well, that's fine. I'll tell you what. Why don't you go while you Google that? I'll discuss with Paul how Elon Musk just renamed Twitter for my family. Oh yeah, excellent. By the way, in terms of legislative accomplishments, some of the highlights. Yeah. Just so you know, were number one. The reason that there is a provision in Obamacare that allows people up to 26 to stay to have health insurance is because of something that Matt and my office and we passed called Michelle's Law, which was a law that originated in New Hampshire that permitted kids to stay on their parents' policies if they got sick while they were in college at a time when insurance companies were throwing kids off their parents' policies if they got really sick, number one. And number two, the reason that New the Northern New Hampshire, as well as the Northern counties of New York, Vermont, and Maine, in addition to New Hampshire, have benefited from millions of dollars of federal investment in economic infrastructure is because we created the Northern Border Regional Economic Development Commission, which funnels New Hampshire's taxpayers' dollars back to New Hampshire for important infrastructure projects. Those are just two highlights. Are those your two biggest, when you look back on your time in Congress, if I were to say to you, what are your two biggest accomplishments? Would those be they? Those were two big legislative accomplishments. But in addition to that, I served as a national co-chair for the Obama campaign. I was the first member of Congress. I'm not crediting you for that. To to endorse (laughs) Obama after Jan Schakowsky. So, yeah. Well, you also essentially called me from the floor of the House of Representatives and said, I'm about to vote for the Affordable Care Act. I'm probably going to lose my next election if I do this. And I said, yes. And you went ahead and did it anyway. It turned out to be to do the right thing. And because I got sent to Congress to do the right thing, I did the right thing and sacrificed my political career. Thanks to you to this day, I don't have health insurance anymore. Middle class, you want me to tell you, middle class self-employed got screwed. That's right. what Obamacare did. We're going to take this offline and we're going to solve this with a health insurance expert near you. Look, speaking of bummer, speaking of By the of way, bummer, Elon Musk name, can we go back to Elon Musk naming Twitter after my family? I'm pretty my, sure. My last name is actually Xanthop and people in who call me schools and stuff call me Mrs. X and they call my husband Ref X and this the local convenience awesome. store. Was, now, it's X. This is a fun and true story. When Elon Musk was at PayPal, 
he has a weird semi-sexual obsession with putting x in front of everything or behind everything space x he wanted to call tesla x so he insisted that they change the name of paypal which was already a hugely successful business x dash paypal i'm not making this shit up and first of all <laughs> peter thiel was like no this is a horrible idea second of all they focus grouped it and they pulled it and what they found is that consumers hated this they associated x with pornography they did not want to do this pardon PayPal, me paypal had already entered the lexicon in the way kleenex or xerox had i'm gonna go xerox something no you're not you're gonna photocopy it but it becomes such a shorthand for giving someone a an app enabled payment that people were saying i'm going to paypal you this and no one wanted to change this inside the company except for elon musk now he's gotten his wish with twitter and it's now called x and he's just going to continue to run into the ground my question is this why didn't he look at a brand new spanking new high-tech tesla right off the line and say okay this looks great but what i want to do is take off the right front wheel so all it does is run around in circles that seems to be his basic strategy for twitter i'd like to see you apply that to all your companies you freaking moron also named one of his children like x, x. 12 or something weird ten. Children? He has 10 children from multiple women yes oh my god okay one more topic for you i want to talk about sports mm. and not in a good way it's come to my attention that in addition to the mass firings at ESPN a few weeks ago, getting rid of many of my favorite sports analysts, including Jeff Van Gundy, the best color commentator in the NBA, the New York Times has gotten rid of its sports section entirely. What the hell? Maybe I'm being a bit of a buzzkill about this. It feels to me like politics used to be fun. Am I just, am I being crazy about this? It feels like politics used to be fun because there, there are big differences between the political parties. Don't tell me that Mike Dukakis and George H.W. Bush were the same dude, or Walter Mondale and Ronald Reagan had the same policies. They did not. But much of the time, it felt like, look, you're going to get a pretty competent, dedicated conservative, or you're going to get a pretty competent, dedicated liberal. Usually we got the conservative when I was growing up. And you'd get members of Congress, and sure, you'd get a few crooks and Jim Traficants in there, but for the most part, you'd get your standard issue politicians and there would be some differences among them. The point is you could have a rooting interest like you did for a sports team. Oh, I'm on team red. I'm on team blue. Awesome. All right. I'll see you at the Super Bowl. And politics isn't fun anymore because Alicia, as you eloquently laid out a few minutes ago, it is like an extinction level event. Oh shit. Donald Trump is going to get reelected. There goes the planet kind of stakes involved here. It's not fun. It is not fun anymore. It's like we could have an insurrection or we could have relative sanity. And I think sports is becoming that way too. I don't think sports is fun anymore. Like, I don't think it's a refuge. It feels like we've tribalized sports. I don't know. Like, Paul, am I being nuts about this? It just. Did you see the Wimbledon final between Novak Djokovic and Carlo Uz? Did you see that? No, now, that, I, I that was one of that was one of the great sporting events of all time. And to the extent that it was a, a generational shift from the 36 year old champion to the 20 year old champion, that was a five set knock them down, drag out uh, fabulous match that had that that showed two players at the highest level of the sport. Now, you turn to soccer and or football, as it's known in Europe, 
and yeah, I mean, the greatest I, men's World Cup final in history. Okay, so and, it was in Qatar. Yeah, thousand migrant Alicia, before we went on the air, was regaling us with the stories of how awful the Women's World Cup officiating is and what it means. But look, then we had Ted Lasso. And so how can anybody worry about the future of sports when we had Ted Lasso? And so then why is ESPN firing? I don't get this. And people? I don't get why there's no sports section in the New York Times. People follow sports. They just do. You go to a coffee shop or a bar. People are talking about sports. Are they picking up a physical newspaper? I do still. I don't know if anyone else does. Paul, do you still read a physical newspaper? I read the Sunday New York Times. I read a physical newspaper a few times a week and I get the Sunday Boston Globe because I like their crossword puzzles. I don't know why you get rid of a sports section. I read a lot of my sports news online and it's a weird dynamic. Even if you're going to get rid of the physical section, what about talking about it on your website or news articles? Sports used to be what unites us. I always wanted Ohio to win and Michigan to lose. There was, But there was a fun camaraderie. And to Matt's point, politics was the same thing. People used to say to me, how can you follow politics? It's so boring. And I would equate it to sports. I would say, it's just like following sports. If you know the players and you know the game, it's fun to watch. But the game's changed, most assuredly. Politics has seeped into sports, right? It's all over the place in sports. And regardless of how you feel about what the politics in sports are, who wants it there? I just don't want it there. I want to just be entertained. And that's what athleticism in sports does for me. It is a very interesting thing in that I lionize Bill Russell, who's one of my idols. And part of the reason isn't just his athletic accomplishments. It's the dignity and leadership and grace that he showed during the civil rights struggle of the 1960s, his willingness to show that kind of leadership on social issues. And what's interesting about it is that it was definitely, it was leadership on societal issues, on social issues, and it was political, but it didn't feel partisan. It didn't feel political in the same way that we mean it today. And I agree with you, Alicia, I get a little bit of a skin crawling ick factor when athletes today weigh in on political issues. I'm in favor of the NBA not having any games on election day. I think that's great. I think that's- That's I'm, not political, that's different. That's yeah. civic, that's, that's civic. civic. Thank you, that's the but word. But I don't, I have to say that there's a certain part of me that just go to watch the Celtics because that is my time to unplug from what I spend way too much of my time focused on. And maybe because our politics is so corrosive it's so bad. Even I get sick of this shit. I'm not blaming the corrosion of politics for the diminution of sports departments. Sports coverage will go on, right? It's just another bummer. And I just, I wonder what it means for the future of sports. All right. How did Joe Biden say it? Osama bin Laden is dead. General Motors is alive. At least Paul Hodes is alive as we do this show. Yay. That's the important thing even if your health insurance is dead. And on that very somber note, I'm going to have to sign off. For Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. We will see you next time. Okay.